I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The School for Dumb Women, the podcast where three ladies throw words around a room for 40 minutes in the hope that some of them sound anywhere near clever. I'm your host woman and thesaurus enthusiast, Hannah Varrell. With me is extenuated humorist with a love of long walks on the beach and asinine mirth, Alexandra Haddo. Horseplay, hoodwinking and buffoonery are all my game, Hannah. And perspicacious fictionalist, Caroline O'Donoghue. Thank you, Hannah. I write about farts. <laughs> Enchanting. This week, YA author Juno Dawson came in to school us about the Spice Girls, Alex looks at why people decided to put glasses in their eyes, and Caroline investigates why we'd all rather have a bowl of Cocoa Pops. So by the end of it, you'll be able to season your breakfast with a girl band and then rub it in your eyes. So, Caroline, you taste better when I cover you in milk and you're only half out the bowl. What's that about? Mm, that is the thing about cereal, isn't it? You want to keep at least 50% of your cereal above the milk line. Yes. yes. Once it all drops down, yeah. <laughs> it's diminishing returns, lads, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I feel like if you see somebody like absolutely drenching their cereal in milk, you would never sleep with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, I am like a big um, bowl slurper, though. Oh, that's fine. Personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very adorable trait of mine, actually. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but this week I am doing um, the history of breakfast cereal. It was like one of those situations where I was just in my kitchen being, what What is my other subject? (laughs) What can I see with my eyes? Yeah, and I landed on cereal, big cereal fan in my house. Um, And you know what? I'm glad I did because cereal is fucked up. (laughs) Oh, man. It's got, I mean, I'm not going to say fucked up, but it's, you know, it's a very unexpected history of cereal that... uh, Was it invented by the fascists? I mean, you're not crazy far off. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, you are far off, but it is that extreme. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let me let me take you there. Got it. So you guys probably already know that, um, you know, the the biggest cereal empire you can think of. What's the first? Kellogg's. Kellogg's, of course. Yes. Kellogg's and specifically John Harvey Kellogg, who was um, in the sort of late 1800s. He took this uh, kind of granola idea that had already been fishing around and mass produced it and created cornflakes, right? That's like, that's all normal. That's all like a okay. thing a thing we can grasp with. Yeah. yeah. What is generally edited out of the Kellogg story <laughs> is that... Um, there were children's bones in it. <laughs> John Harvey Kellogg, he, um, I mean, he was a surgeon who, you know, he was running this kind of health spa in Michigan, like a sanatorium um, that people went to sort of heal their bodies or whatever. And uh, he developed this breakfast cereal there and it was popular so therefore he marketed it. Let's take another two steps backwards. Oh no. (laughs) He wasn't just any old health therapist guy. He was actually a member of a religious sect called um, the Seventh Day Adventists. Right. So this woman called Ellen White and her husband in the 1860s, they got all these messages from God claiming that sort of the religious doctrine and the body had to be more unionized in one doctrine. So while most like Christians believe that like alcohol itself isn't like sinful, that it's more like a person's relationship to alcohol or whatever, yeah. it's excess that makes you a sinner, mm. not it itself. This sort of religion was like, no, like meat is bad, alcohol is bad, like eating all these foods that are bad for you are inherently sinful they will make you sinful they will make God hate you right. oh I guess the thing he ground up the bible and put it in the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so this young John Harvey Kellogg um, young kid who's like 12, 13 and he gets sort of earmarked by Ellen White and her husband is like oh he's really like promising like he's a 
we're, we're going to groom him to be head of the church. God. And um, he starts um, working at like their little printing press they have in their town in Michigan. By the time he's 16, he has his own magazine. That's, oh. that's like John Harvey's health journal or whatever. And then... Um, they say, okay, what would be really great is if you were a doctor because we, you could sort of like help legitimize the sort of our whole creed of like loving God through loving your body kind of mm, thing. Right. So he goes off to medical school um, and then he goes on to be the surgeon who creates the sort of um, sanatorium health fitness spa thing. Yeah. And then cereal, cornflakes, becomes sort of like the emblem of his whole creed. Yeah, because wow. it's so because it's so simple. It's like the whole idea is that like it's you know people were eating too much excess at the beginning of their day and they needed to eat very very simply and have to eat meagerly. Because if you think about it, cornflakes is not a glamorous thing. It's just like wheat, I guess, yeah. corn. Well, yeah, he must have yeah. hated frosties when they came along. He must, yeah, no, because they had like they hated sugar and that, like they hated. God, it sounds dull. I know it's mad, but it's crazy because like I just. I never really thought before because the cereal we think of right now is all like super sugary. It's super like yeah. um, aimed at children. It's got toys in it. But that it came from this like really like... Puritanical. Very like- puritanical idea. Like, But then obviously that sort of like progressed along the 20th century and all kinds of weird stuff started happening. Like Quaker Oats came along and they invented puffed rice as we know it now in our oh. Rice Krispies. At which at the time they marketed it as the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> puffed rice. <laughs> Rice Krispies, eighth wonder of the world. I mean, seeing it happen must have been quite impressive. Yeah. Meanwhile, the guy laying the last brick on the Great Wall of China is like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that wasn't even like the end of like cereal and its weird connotations to strange movements because in the 1930s, there was this um, shredded wheat sort of prototype. Like not shredded wheat as we know it now, but basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it was intended to feed the followers of Ralstonism a strict racist social movement that that included a belief in controlling the minds of others. What? How is, how is cereal so connected Wait, to religion? Oh, fucking hell. I, What's going on I here? think it's because it's an incredibly cheap way to, f- to feed a lot of people. So if you think about it, it makes complete sense. Yeah, they'll do what you want if you're feeding them. Yeah, and it's like also it's like incredibly low calorie, so it keeps... like it's You're never like full, are you? No. <laughs> from cereal. You ne- never once in your life, even if you ate eight bowls of cereal, you'll feel nauseous, but you won't feel full. Yeah. I feel like it's like a way of keeping people very durable. Like if they're kind of sort of half malnourished... Yeah, so, and you like either live in your commune or whatever. They're never gonna rebel, yeah. are they? But and if plenty you... of fibre, so they can't go far <laughs> yeah. from the toilets. And if they're you certainly to a... shitting a lot, yes. <laughs> and then you know, obviously, in the uh, sort of post-war period, there's a massive baby boom, and people need to like feed their kids quicker. So then the sort of whole thing of like sugary mad cereal happens. Yeah, and then that kind of you know petered on into what we have today which is I feel like now we're kind of going back to that early Kellogg's thing of like it was yes. really sugary for ages and now it's all like oh no now it's a Dorset cereal it's yeah. uh, full it's, of nuts and, yeah. and goodness and oh, moral fibre yum yum my dad's always like oh muesli looks and tastes like ooze from under the bed <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what ooze is, but I do know what it. I've never had to ask, but I just know exactly what he means. <laughs> and he is right. Uh, so I I went through some of the um, cereals of over the years. Yeah. Um, and I wanted you to tell me whether or not this is a real cereal or a pretend cereal. Ooh. Okay. Mister Wonderful Surprise. <laughs> it's fake. Oh, real. It's a real cereal. Oh Jesus. Um, black currant Smokies. A tobacco-flavoured cereal from the mountains. No, fake. Real. I just made that up. (laughs) Sir Grapefellow. A grape-flavoured cereal. (laughs) Fake. (laughs) Real. That has definitely just come out of Caroline's head. You you haven't had like a single consensus on any one so far. (laughs) Uh, Sir Grapefellow... Is real. Oh. But see, I'm getting them all right. Alex is going Yeah, right. that is true, yeah. We never remember to keep score during these things. <laughs> Hannah's I'm beating me hands down. <laughs> um, C-3PO's, a Star Wars cereal. Oh, sure. Yeah, real. probably, yeah. Yeah, see, I think that's very clever. O.J. Simpson O's. No. No. No, fake. Okay, that is fake, but there were a cereal called O.J.'s. <gasps> but not there. after him. I mean, it was in like the late 80s and early 90s, so yeah. Oh, no. no right? That's weird. Yeah. Why does America have such, like, so much more interesting cereals than us? Ooh, I guess because there's more of them. <laughs> I, I used to absolutely to love Lucky Charms. I used to live for them, and then they got banned here because they're basically just sweets. Yeah. <laughs> they are, aren't they? Um, what was the, like, most 
like romantic of the cereals to you as a kid? Oh. Like, what did you oh. wish that your mum bought? Crunchy you never nut, got? crunchy nut cornflakes. Really? And sometimes we would get a uh, supermarket brand honey nut cornflakes, oh, which yeah. were still good. But the days when we got crunchy nut, that was like the real, you know, Christmas come early. I think mine was a similar story with own brand Cocoa Pops and real Cocoa Pops because I, oh, really? I liked the monkey. And Aww. I think they are oh, a bit Oh, we tastier. all liked the monkey. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was that. I, I enjoyed a Weeto. I used to have Weetos quite a lot. I don't think I, I've ever had a We used to love Weetos. Yeah. What are Weetos? The chocolate. Chocolate O's. Chocolate O's. Okay. Yeah. For our family, they were always the best one because they had a great uh, combo of great prize in the box. They had really high yes, quality they did, toys. Yeah. They had yeah. these lovely like plastic dogs and cats that yeah. were like very high quality for a cereal. <laughs> and they were also delicious. They've actually changed the recipe though. Every time I try and rebuy them to try and reclaim the magic, uh, it's absolutely manky now. Oh, really? Um, also, if you eat loads of sugar puffs and then have a wee, your wee smells of sugar puffs. Does it? Really? Yeah, it's really weird. Like the asparagus of the cereal world. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest thing ever, but sugar puffs are delicious as well. So The romance that I feel for cereal, I do love it as a meal. I absolutely adore it. But uh, I think the thing about cereal is like it's the first meal that you learn to make yourself. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's and if like, you've got like two kids or three kids getting ready for school in the morning, it's like, oh, how would you like your eggs? No, just fucking eat that bowl I of know. cereal. I remember looking at um, American TV shows when you're a kid and they all have like pancakes and yeah. eggs in the I morning. I still think that, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, how do they have who time? Does that? And yeah. then they get to school at like 7.30. I'm like, what? Did you wake up at like 4.30 in the morning? <laughs> yeah. What's like, happening? The mum just doesn't well. sleep. Like she's yeah. just making the pancakes from 3 a.m. Totally. or something. Even in Friends when they're all like having breakfast round at Monica's before they all go to work. I'm like, nobody yes. does this. But it would be the yeah. dream if you all started at 10 and lived 20 minutes away from work. You could do that. What's, what's your favourite as an adult? No holds barred. Probably Cocoa Pops. Yeah, they're the best one. Yeah. Cocoa Pops are the best one, yeah. unequivocally. Yeah. Really? I still think Crunchy Nut. Mm. It's, it's I don't really like nuts. still survived for me. Real, like, older lady. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is it? I think so. Yeah, it's kind of a quite sophistication to Crunchy oh, Nut. Thanks. You know what I mean? Thanks. It's divorced, but it's really to love again. <laughs> yeah. So regular listeners will remember that every now and then we have a dispatch from our resident money expert, Richard Danu. Ah, yes, Richard. Unfortunately, yet again, Richard Danu has cancelled last minute and he can't be here in person. Luckily, he sent his notes to Alex. Yes, he did. Uh, we're very close, me and Richard. Uh, we Someone often... say too close. <laughs> too close. We, we, had, we had a short affair in the spring of uh, 2006, but since then we've been very close friends. Oh. Uh, no, he can't make it tonight. Uh, he's giving a seminar uh, to some rich old ladies who have cats about oh. uh, what to do with their will. Is it leave it to the cats? It's Care of Richard Danu? Care of Richard Danu, yeah. <laughs> he then, yeah, he's, uh, he's a pretty bad person, yeah. But he does know what to do when it comes to money. Ah. Uh, so I thought I'd ask him what uh, is surely one of the worst situations you can be in with money as a young woman, or indeed any human. Uh, and that is, of course, asking to borrow money. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just having to throw myself out the window. Yes. yes. Thank you very much. How are you? I mean, that sort of tells me everything, but uh, oh, what are your. <laughs> why are we talking about it? Exactly. Look how British and Irish we are about it. Uh, yeah. Have you ever had to ask anyone for money? And did you nearly die? Yes, and yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, and also yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, why is it around. so horrible? It is uh, dreadful. Because it, should, it shouldn't be. You know, it shouldn't be as bad as it is. Obviously, the the subtext is like, I'm not doing well enough. (laughs) But um, Richard Danu has a couple of tips uh, for you on this, um, which is uh, always find out who your richest friend is. Oh, yes. Um, Because then, you know, at least you'll feel a little bit less bad. Oh, yeah. Asking them. Terrible mistake if you get someone that you know is sort of on the same salary than you but has saved more than you. Um, that's pretty, oh, that's pretty quite bad. humiliating. Yeah. But what if you think they're rich because they buy like fancy lunches every day and have new handbags or whatever it is, mm. but they're just horribly in their overdraft? Oh, that's why you must um, you must take them out for a few drinks and sort of suss them out beforehand. Mm. Oh, yeah. He's very sneaky, thoroughly. Richard Danu. That's why he's Richard Danu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, this is what my really big pet hate of society. So many people say that they're broke when they're not broke. So oh, when yeah. somebody says they're broke, you don't actually 
mean it to th- say that they they literally have no money. It means that they're having like a tie week or whatever. Does Richard Dan you have any tips for when a friend wants to borrow money from you and you don't trust them at all? Uh, yes, and you, you know just, they're going to forget all about regular that old Richard. Quid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in that scenario, hang on, let me just uh, tap through to Richard on the uh, Facebook Live. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm actually looking at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, if that happens, you have to pretend like you're poorer than them. Oh, see, now I've done that. I have a friend that's owed me 40 quid since 2013. And uh, she, I mean, she lives in Australia. Well, if you're listening, love, get it on PayPal. Has essentially fallen off the face of the earth. And I tried that. I tried to be like, oh, hi, how's it going? Um, Remember, you owe me that money. And I did that a few times and she just stopped replying. Just nothing. No. The cheek of it. Is that that why she moved to Australia? To escape her debtors? Oh, no, she was Australian already. She just moved back to Australia. Mm, Well, there was your problem. Still yeah, befriending an Australian. Yeah, what never, never ask? lend to anyone who isn't a native. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, essentially, if you don't want to lend anyone something, you have to bring in your own lunches for a week to try and seem poor. That's the only way around it. You can't possibly be honest. <laughs> what if they're not in your office with you? Um, you have to send them pictures of your lunches. <laughs> like it's oh, my batch of risotto. It's totally grey. Yeah, five week month. Got to pay for that Hindu for Flemmaima. Flamima, <laughs> Flamima's Hindu, which you won't be seeing any pictures of. <laughs> uh, so yeah, basically, uh, Richard and you. Final lesson: try not to borrow money if you have to do it. Be sneaky about it. Mm. That's why we pay him the big bucks. <laughs> Alex, you're wearing your glasses inside of your head tonight. It looks very uncomfortable. Uh, how did you manage that? Uh, There's a very awkward uh, tube ride here, Hannah. Actually, I had to get someone to help me pop them in. Uh, But then somebody told me about these amazing things called contact lenses, Mm. which I believe... I have some. Yes, much Mm. less stress. So I know we studied eye tests a couple of weeks ago, and Caroline, yeah, as the only glasses wearer, you were saying how you don't really like glasses as part of your identity. Mm. Uh, But... How or why or why not do you wear contact lenses? I do wear contact lenses occasionally, uh, mostly for uh, special occasions or when I'm going to a meeting where I want to sort of show off or kind of thing. Or I don't want to just be thinking about my glasses a lot. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, especially in the summertime because uh, you're kind of your face is sweating, your makeup's getting on your lenses. If you want, you want sometimes you want a day where you don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah. Um, however, the cons of it is is that like it's a bit like. Even if you have the most comfortable pair of heels known to man, you never forget you're wearing heels. Oh, right, okay. It's a bit like that. Can you not ignore them like when you've got a tampon in or something? Oh, no. I wish it was like having a tampon in. Oh, yeah, really? No. So you can really feel them? Um, depending on how how your eyes are on that day, or even how like the how dry the room you're in is, like how, how what the air conditioning is like or whatever. Yeah, because it always, it always seems weird to me that they wouldn't just be like lubricated by your eye yeah yeah no it's it's really really dependent like I actually wore them a lot this weekend and I was out in like the park sunbathing a lot and like meeting up with friends and I was fine I barely thought about them the entire time but if I wear them on a working day because I uh, spend a lot of time staring at screens and uh, when you stare at screens you don't blink as much so you're you're not moistening your own eyeball Um, so I I know it's horrible but you you really do feel them and that's why you don't wear them all the time. Yeah, exactly. And they're quite expensive. They're about a quid a day, you know, so... Yeah, that's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but they are they are nifty little things when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. They are very handy. Um, does it hurt to put them in? It doesn't hurt, but it is an absolute pain in the hole. Because, um, like, you have to... It's very, like, a pernickety process. And, like, you ha- they have to be facing in a certain direction. They have to, like... Uh, it's like you know how, like, with condoms... You only know it's on in the wrong way once you've already <laughs> fucked it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. It's a bit like that. Yeah, it's a bit like that. You're like, oh, it's gone down the wrong way. It's doing the weird hat thing. It's a bit like that with, con- with uh, condoms. The with uh, condoms. It's like a little willy with a hat on. <laughs> a little willy hat. Um, it's a bit like that with contact lenses as well. And they're quite drippy, so they make your face a bit wet. Oh. And sometimes um, I'll have done all my eye makeup and all my stuff, and then I'll remember that today's supposed to be a contacts day, and it's really hard to put it in once you've had mascara on and that. Yeah, but putting it in, I was like, yeah, fine. How the fuck do you get it out? 
Oh, don't you have oh, to squeeze it or something? You have to pinch, pinch and squeeze. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not good. And sometimes you kind of fall asleep when you're pissed or whatever. And yeah, with the men. You wake up with the weirdest eyes. Because you can have disposable ones, which I use, but you can have those ones that you leave in for ages. And um, sometimes I've had friends over in my house and it's been like two in the morning and I've been like, should I just sleep on the couch like you're grand? And they were like, no, I have to go home. I don't have my contact yes, solution. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, happened. what? Yeah. Like, weird. Yeah, that is so strange, isn't it? You'd think that by now... Yeah, yeah. You, know, you wouldn't need that. But uh, yeah, they're they're very cool. I mean, they're basically a mini glass, as you know, inside of your eye. It's the not same actually, job as glasses. Isn't it plastic though? It is plastic, Hannah. Correct. Um, it's, oh. a, it's a it's <laughs> a it's a breathable plastic. Ugh. Um, guess who came up with them first? Steve Jobs. Uh, Giles Van Contact. Oh no. Classic Alex joke there. I know, yeah. No, it <laughs> wasn't Mr. L- Mr. Contact. <laughs> Notorious boffin from history, Leonardo da Vinci. What? Oh, you're not serious. I mean, his version of a contact lens was very, uh, very primitive. Um, you had to put some sort of glasses on that were essentially like a sort of half moon shape, but there was space between the sort of flat edge and the curved edge mm-hmm. and then a little hole in it. And then you put your face in a bowl of water and then the glasses sort of filled up and acted as sort of contact lenses right um seemed to me a bit like glasses but apparently the technology was the sort of that was the starting point oh, um weird. so you know he invented everything so you're walking around with your eyes half full of water well yeah like a water filled a water filled glass hemisphere over the eye so it's not like in your eye i don't think that's so you're like, like wearing glass. goggles the wrong way around sort of yeah um, but then uh, Descartes proposed another idea uh, in uh, 1636, which was a glass tube filled with liquid placed in direct contact with the cornea. Mm. Um, so basically a no. lot of prototypes, which sound who, very scary. Yeah, who volunteered for that, though? Who was like, yeah, you could put a, yeah. glass, a glass tube, could break, glass tube full of water on my eye. Yeah. On my eyeball. Mm. But then I guess, I don't know, well, then again, laser eye surgery works, but, you know, that sounds horrible as well, doesn't it? Maybe oh, and you mean who who first yeah, volunteered exactly. for yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, the, the modern sort of contact lens-ish that we know today was invented in 1888 by a German ophthalmologist. That's earlier than I would have thought. I would have thought, like, 1940s, 50s. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah. as what I have, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was, it wouldn't look very similar to what we know now, but it's kind of the same principle. Mm. Um, sadly, he was called Adolf, but we'll breeze past that. <laughs> Not the worst Adolf. One of the one of the good Adolfs. It's I'd so say. weird how Adolf used to be this incredibly common name, and now you'd never find it in yeah. any country in Europe. Mm. I know. I wonder what happened to that. <laughs> we should do a subject. <laughs> yeah, what happened to the word Adolf? <laughs> contact lenses all the same size. Is everyone's eyeball the same size? Oh, I don't know. I think I think Ooh. all contact lenses in this country are the same size. Um, well, I the. The contact lenses that I have are for astigmatism, I think, which means that my balls are the wrong shape. <laughs> yeah, basically, they're less strong than glasses because they're closer to your eye. Okay. Oh. That's why they can be so thin and your glasses are obviously a lot thicker. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, weirdly, um, one of the ways of uh, producing or making contact lenses is called diamond turning. Mm. Excuse me? <laughs> which might explain why they're a quid a day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're cut and polished on a CNC lathe. How weird is that? What's a lathe? It's like a round thing that spins really fast and then you can go like... Oh, ugh. Yeah. Wow. So they are actually quite... I mean, I guess they are like an an amazing feat of engineering, really. Yeah. Because it's like quite a specific tiny little thing and it's going to go in your fucking eye, so... Yeah, if there's anything even slightly wrong with it... Yeah, you're fucked. fucked. Yeah, Yeah. cut a splinters on there. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I just say that for (laughs) 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 Um, Well, something I quite enjoy doing is, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you sort of like get the sleep out of your eye or whatever and sometimes you just find big clumps of black from like mascara or whatever oh, yeah. in your eye and I like touching my eyeball <laughs> to get them you out you like touching your eyeball I like touching you? my eyeball so really I feel like that. I feel like I would really enjoy having contact lenses oh but your vision isn't bad enough as we learned last week yes <laughs> exactly my vision isn't bad enough yet um, but Caroline how does the contact lens and the clumps of black mascara how do they combine do you ever get clumps stuck under the lens Oh, what is it? Are you like a horror film writer for contact lenses? Like everything you say is... Clumps. Eddie Murphy's the clumps. Um, 
I actually, uh, I've only been wearing them for seven or eight months. I haven't had that issue yet, and I'm wondering why. No, I haven't had that. Interesting. But um, I also have found, um, I never, I'm a big crier, as in, like, I will cry at um, describing the plot of my favourite film. <laughs> um, but whenever I, I wear contact lenses, I don't cry at all, which is actually great if you're going to, like, a funeral or something and you know you're going to be emotional. It's a really great thing to do. Are they, yeah. like, blocking your tear ducts or something? I, I think they must do. I definitely don't produce as much eye gunk. When, when I'm well, they're probably them. absorbing the the lube in your eyes. Yeah, presumably. Yeah, they just need all that lube for themselves. Yeah, no to spare on tears. I should also say that this question was posed to me by my friend Jamie, who is a contact lens wearer, and he was like, "What are these?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, I'll find out." Caroline, can I try your contact lenses? Yes, but I think it'd be very bad for you. <laughs> Would you then be having Caroline's baby? Mm, maybe. Oh, I think that is a way to get your eye pregnant with more eyes. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I just pictured an eye. I just an eye. Eyes are horrible yeah, and they beautiful, are. but mostly horrible. <laughs> like contact lenses. And Penelope Cruz. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Despite you knowing me and Alex's issues with jealousy, you went out into the world and talked to people again. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What was that handmaid's training for? <laughs> if not for this, to I avoid just, situations like this. I just feel like there might be things I could learn from other people. No. No. Wrong. No. Error. As you've just seen with contact lenses, Hannah, I know all. <laughs> I know everything and I know how to Wikipedia something. You're exactly. allowed to talk to me, Alex, Grandmother Willow, yep. the tree. No one else. Oh. <laughs> Rachel, the studio manager? Rachel, the studio manager, occasionally <laughs> about business-related items. Or okay. technical faults. <laughs> or technical faults. Well, yeah. So this week I broke the rules again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. But it was to meet Juno Dawson, who is oh, a very cool... Oh, she's nice. Yeah, okay, YA fine. author. Resident cool person. Resident yeah. cool person, yeah. I follow her on Instagram and I'm always like, you look so fucking cool. You know, she's one of those like cool people that you forget follows you on Twitter and then they respond to something you do and then you come over all hot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you were watching. Oh, she doesn't follow me. Juno, please follow me. I don't know if she follows me. Oh my god. I've just begged her to follow me, which is the ultimate sign of not being cool. Yeah, no, I can't wait for her to hear this. Good. Yeah. We're cool, cool gals, you know. Keep follow me if you want friends. or not. Like, I don't so care. Cool. Yeah, so I met her because I thought she could educate me on a topic that is very dear to her heart and that is the Spice Girl. Oh, a topic great. which I am surprised is not dear to yours, well, Hannah. Well, no, exactly. See, we've talked about this before off air and I've admitted that I'm very ignorant about the Spice Girls and one of the reasons for that, I think, is because You're a raging I, misogynist? Yes. <laughs> I hate women. <laughs> I, I think it's about being the right age at the right time and actually this is something that um, Juno talked about so here's what she had to say on the matter. If you were not in that bubble, if you were not a certain age in 1996, you're not going to get this. And this is what I find really interesting about the Spice Girls, which is it was a proper phenomenon. And we don't see very many of them. I think another one is YouTubers. 
Yeah. I think it's interesting that you say it's very much like being the right age in that era, because I was going to say, I really don't kind of get the Spice Girls. But yeah, so they released Wannabe in 1996. How old are you in 1996? I was five. Too young. Yeah. Just a tiny bit too young. I think if you've been like three years older. Yeah. Then I'm a, you would maybe have been a Spice Girl. Yeah. yeah, I didn't care about music when I was five. I, Nobody cares about music. I don't when I was think five. I even knew that I could care about music. You yeah. know, I was just like, this is what my mum listens to when she said. Yeah, I think that's you. So you start. So for me and my mum, I grew up surrounded by Motown. So I was keyed into the idea of girl groups. I think I was twelve in '96. Okay. So it was of thereabouts, and so I was familiar with like the Supremes and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, and I knew I loved a girl group. Yeah, but the Spice Girls were like my girl group. They were like the first one that had to come along in my lifetime. I think what she's saying is really true there because I'm only uh, three years older than you, mm-hmm. and I was exactly the age she uses as an example. And I was obsessed with the Spice Girls, and I didn't care about anything else before that. Like to be fair, all my friends loved Take That, and I was like, don't get it. Same. I was the same when the Spice Girls happened. It was like coming online culturally for the first yeah. time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else was just like colours and driftwood and noise. Yeah. And then they just came so clear, barreling over the horizon. And you were like, that's me, that's mine, that belongs to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. How, how were you introduced to them? Because you were, um, what, six in 1996? 1996, I was six, yeah. So, so how kind of, who introduced you to them? Um, I just remember uh, being over at my best mate's house and... I think her sister putting it on and... Ah, see, older siblings. Older yeah. siblings, yeah. Yeah, I had an older brother, so... Oh, yeah, Useless. yeah, that makes sense. He was listening to Linkin Park. Oh, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> but, Not at that but time, you remember just like them just like coming out of that car and going up those steps and yeah. just like, they were really just there to fucking stir shit, yeah. you know like, what I mean? something's going to happen. Yeah, something's <laughs> going to happen. And like, the extent of what happens is that like, oh, someone sits on somebody else's lap. <laughs> like, yeah. They don't really do anything. They just go into a restaurant and yeah. mess about and then go back out. But it just felt so rebellious to yeah. me. Yeah. I remember collecting the Pepsi ring pulls to get their special single that you could only get that way. I think it's interesting that you both are just like absolutely going off on one about them and I'm just sitting here like a fucking dud. Okay, so so you must, I mean, you're a year younger than I am, right? Yeah. So like, you weren't that far behind. Did you just not identify with them? Were you just like a bit too much a tomboy maybe? I think they never came into my house. (laughs) <laughs> they were always round of mine no, like my brother wasn't interested in that kind of stuff my parents definitely weren't um, so I don't know where I kind of would have come across but it but did you not see them on friends. TV and stuff like that like my school, parents everyone, everyone like playing over who got to be which spice at school yeah. and stuff did no one do oh, that? a little bit but I just didn't join in those games <laughs> were you busy like you know finding a house for a worm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was doing <laughs> Anyway, I asked Juno as well. I asked her um, kind of what they meant to her because everyone has a story of what the Spice Girls meant to them. Um, And this is what she said. What impact do you think they had on you then? Like, did they change your life? They did. It was quite sad because obviously more than anything in the world, I wanted to be a Spice Girl. And it was a a watershed moment in that it did slightly make me, it forced me to pick an identity, really, because it wasn't okay for cisgender straight boys to love the Spice Girls as much as I did. Right. And so I had to slightly shit I'll get off the pot. (laughs) And almost, I love the Spice Girls so much, it was worth everybody deciding I was gay on my behalf. (laughs) And so it was like, well, okay, they were like, oh my God, do you like, you like the Spice Girls, are you gay? And I was kind of like, yes, if if that is what it takes to love the Spice Girls, that is what it is. And of course, we know now that that wasn't, true that I wasn't I was like a trans girl who also fancies boys but you can see where I would get confused you know and I think it was around that time you know had things been different and had we had better education in the 90s without any shadow of a doubt I would have just gone the whole hog and I wouldn't have even just been a spice girl I would have just gone ahead and been a girl kind of but yeah it was strangely like finding my tribe a little bit because around the same time I just gave up on boys Sadly, I didn't give up on boys in a sexual or romantic capacity, <laughs> as would have been sensible. But um, I did give up on the notion of having friends as boys. Yeah. Because all I wanted to do was talk about the Spice Girls. And kind of, we used to, you know, collect Spice Girls merchandise and the dolls and the folders and the notebooks. And I could only really do that with other girls. And so that was really when I kind of just dropped all my male friends and just almost exclusively surrounded myself with other Spice Girl fans. Yeah. So I, it really, you know... 
And then I never looked back. You know, all my friends are girls now. So it's kind of like, yeah, it was it was when I found my tribe, I guess. Yeah, it was like a trigger moment for being like, right. This I cannot understate the importance of the Spice Girls. People think I'm taking the piss. It was <laughs> genuinely a pivotal moment, moment in my life. Oh, that's so nice. That's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Like, Isn't I just it? like if it takes being gay to love the Spice Girls, then I guess I'm gay. It's just like I think I'm gonna weep. Like, <laughs> Jesus, I'm so sad we couldn't have interviewed her as a gang. But I that know. Is, oh God. That's, it, that's a lot, lads. Like, oh. But you know, I remember, I do remember that I was the first one in my school. I, ne- I was never the first one to have anything, but I was the first one to have like the Spice Girls annual. It was like this book with loads of pictures of them like oh, on tour yeah. and stuff like that. And I remember Tom Gray, who, who was and is a straight man, being like, who I fancied, uh, being like, oh, can I, could I have a look at it with you? And I was like, oh my God, Tom Gray's speaking to me. Oh. <laughs> so it kind of expanded to... To everybody, and it was nice that it was a girl group instead of a boy band. Mm. That's interesting, though, because because from what Gino said, it very much seems like it was if you were a boy, you didn't like the Spice Girls, mm. you weren't allowed to like the Spice Girls. So it's interesting that you kind of had a separate, like, like separate bubble where yeah, it was okay for you know yeah. straight boys to. I'm sure, I'm sure Gino is is mostly right, and I'm sure in the majority of situations that was the case. But I just feel like you know, boys did like them so much that sometimes they would be like, oh yeah, yeah have you got you know. But I'm sure on the whole, she's very. Correct. I I remember feeling very like um protective over them if any because obviously no I didn't have the language of feminism back then but like they were all so mouthy about like what girls wanted and what they deserved and yeah. stuff and whenever anyone like and you always, I always like knew that like Jerry was Jerry was always my favorite and even when she was wearing that bloody Union Jack rubber dress or whatever <laughs> that even though I didn't have the word for what irony is that she was doing it in a kind of ironic yeah, yeah, yeah. way and when people really sexualized her or slut shamed her I remember feeling really really defensive being like no they're not for that they're for me <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. yeah and when they wore bras under their suit or like a bra and a skirt as Victoria Beckham used to wear a lot of stuff it always just felt like they were like yeah fuck off I like this you know yeah. what I mean no it? Gina has a lot to say about um, about feminism and the Spice Girls and how kind of they just would do it but without using that word yeah. and it kind of all turned into that kind of uh, ladder culture well yeah they called it girl power didn't they instead? yeah of yeah. course yeah yeah obviously you guys couldn't be in the studio while I was um, recording with Gino because we uh, locked you out you yeah. I was, uh, I <laughs> no was... Caroline's or Alex's allowed <laughs> I was with Richard and you at yes. a uh, credit card conference. Of and I was fighting. Yes. <laughs> but I did get you guys to send me some questions. So, um, Alex, this is the question that you sent in. Ooh, I'm excited. I have a question from Alex, actually. Okay. Which was, did you go on the tour where Victoria just did a catwalk? Yes. <laughs> well, that was a big deal. That was the 10-year anniversary. So that was when they reunited. Okay. And by that point, Victoria... And I do think I would... L- I mean, two minds about whether I ever want to meet Victoria because she, because she was my favourite and the, the danger when you meet your heroes is that they in some way disappoint. Yeah. But um, she, by that point, had her tongue so firmly in cheek about what Posh Spice actually was. Mm. But this was incredible because she did that catwalk to Supermodel. Was it Supermodel? By RuPaul. Right. And this was two years before RuPaul's Drag Race. So to have Victoria storming down a catwalk to work, turn to the right, work. And it was like, that was like, she brought, she revived RuPaul. Maybe, oh, wow. maybe we not, maybe she created RuPaul's Drag Race and we just didn't even realize it. Oh That's gosh. the power of Victoria Beckham. <laughs> so what that said was, it, it said that she's smart enough to have insight into knowing her solo career flopped. Yeah. And whereas the rest of them all had a solo turn, like Jerry did It's Raining Men and Emma did Maybe, um, Victoria was wise enough to know that no one was there to hear her sing Not Such an Innocent Girl. Yeah, I didn't feel like she was anyone's real favourite. I did always feel sad for her. I feel like she wasn't... She, was... she. I mean, it's kind of a cliche to hear about um, how good a sense of humour Victoria Beckham has because it's one of those things that like editors have been on about for years. Yeah. But I did always feel in Spice World the movie that she was sort of playing a different game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. like quite a funny performance in that, but it's very subtle. It's very like tongue-in-cheek, as Gina says. Yeah. No, that was a, I went to that tour as well and it was so exciting. But then, yeah, Victoria didn't even sing a song. <laughs> oh. But she walked. She walked. But yeah, it, Juno's right. It was kind of like a, yeah, fuck it. I'm not going to sing and then be like ridiculed. Uh, I'm just going to yeah. fucking do what but I play to my strengths. The RuPaul thing, I had no idea about. No, all. I didn't. Like, yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Caroline, you had a question about the song Holler, which I also asked Juno. 
Yeah. I have a question from Caroline as well, okay. which is, don't you think Holler was an underrated jam? Yes. And weirdly, actually, one night, so I DJ at a club night in Brighton, and that's the one I often play out and because it's been forgotten. Okay. It how, was, does it, it, how does it go? I'm going to make you holler. Want to hear you scream my name? I'll give you rules to follow so you can play my game. Okay. Nice, it was nice it was singing, their, by the way. It was their R&B number. So it was produced by Dark Child, who had done Destiny's Child and Tony Braxton. Yeah, it was a it was a tune and it was a number 1. It was their last number 1. Okay. Um but again it wasn't the Spice Girls cuz Jerry had gone and she was so vital to the DNA of the band. But it sounds great when you play it out loud. It's okay. Like it's a, but it's interesting because they know they weren't getting on at the time as well. And they've been very open about the fact that they were at each other's throats by that point And it was just crumbling. See, one of the things that Juno um, told me as well, which I had no idea about, is that they didn't ever officially split up. They just kind of petered out slowly. Ah. Um, which I had oh, absolutely like, no idea about. I felt like they did split up. Maybe that was just... I remember when Jerry left, she gave her first tell-all interview to Marie Claire. That is wow. the first issue of Marie Claire I ever bought. Probably one of three. <laughs> um, but yeah, Juno obviously is fantastic and very knowledgeable about Spice Girls. And we spoke for a lot longer than I could possibly fit into this episode. But we will put out a bonus episode on Saturday featuring our full conversation with lots more exciting facts about Spice Girls and lots more me being an idiot and <laughs> not knowing any of it. Um, and Juno also has a new book out called Clean. It's a YA novel about a socialite who goes to rehab and it's actually brilliant and you should all go and buy it right now because it's out right now. Great. Thank you, Juno. Thank you. So, ladies, it's the start of a new month and that means a whole load of new trends to stay on top of. Alex, I see you're still wearing military green and I have to say, if I see you wearing that again, you will not be allowed back in the studio. And their flares as well, which makes it even worse. Yep. Caroline, you took your dangly earrings off so that your headphones would fit. And frankly, that tells me you're not dedicated to the cause. Please put them back on. But the bars are digging into my brain. (laughs) Well, luckily, the three of us aren't left alone to investigate the tricky terrain of trends, because today for our smart lesson, we have invited the excellent Lucy Vine back to the studio to tell us all about the hottest trends for May. Hello on the Vine with Lucy Vine. Hello. How are you all? Uh, Viney. Fine house is in the house. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. That was awful. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> it's staying it. May is... <laughs> Great. Uh, I firmly believe that May is the trendiest month of all. It is my birthday month, everyone. Oh, oh. Yes, I have a birthday month now. Have you read? <laughs> is it May 27th? May 7th, thank uh, you. But May 27th seen. was the date of my first Holy Communion, so... Oh, well, that's what I was thinking of, obviously. <laughs> In the life dates you'd memorise. Yes, of course. <laughs> so, Lucy, what kind of things should we be looking out for in the darling month of May? <laughs> <laughs> darling month of May, that sort of works. Yeah, what is it, month yeah, of May? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's very clever work. Like On the trash. <laughs> Yay, so looking out for puns, obviously. Sure, sure. Okay, so I've got a top three May trends for you. Ooh. Are you excited? Yes. Very. Are we going in descending or ascending order? Um, descending order. Okay, yeah. good. More exciting. Yeah. Great. Do, Great do, call, Lucy. Building up the... Do, the do. Energy. Um, so I've got top three May trends. So for the month of May, number three is adorable stalkers. Oh, this is just so cute, you guys. A stalker broke into Taylor Swift's New York house and took a shower and then fell asleep on her bed. It's so sweet. <laughs> no, obviously it is not sweet. And I'm just so perplexed by the way we talk about these people. This is the third stalking type incident Taylor has had to deal with in the space of a month. So this guy smashed a window and climbed up a ladder. And yet everybody's like referring to him as a suitor or a what? fan and talking oh, about how he's in love with her. So he's none of these oh. things. He's a mentally disturbed stalker. Yeah. Is it just because he napped and we're like, oh, you're asleep. You're vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Napping is a Cute verb. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we do this a bit with celebrity stalkers. Like we, we talk about it as if like oh, it's just sort of a natural, normal, like, oh, they're just a fan. Yeah. And they're not, they're stalking people, it's bad. Also, how lax is her security? Oh, how to say you said to get at Taylor yeah. Swift? Like you'd think she'd have the best security in the world given how many people hate her. I think it's more that she's got so many houses that like she can't oh, she wasn't no, there no. at the time, so it was fine. Is her security spread too thinly? Yeah, I think that's what oh, it is. Yeah. 
problem. That's my problem. But what do you think Taylor's bed is actually like? Do you think it's especially comfortable? Oh, I bet it's a really shit memory foam one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I bet she's got one of those beds where, like, it's split down the middle and you can adjust the mattress separately to you and your partner (laughs) so they don't ever have to touch. (laughs) But she's got really silky sheets, though. Yeah. Yeah. I bet she's got a TV that comes out of the bottom of it. Like frame. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely thinking she's very precious and she needs like a lot of different sounds to go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? She's got one of those sound machines and like frogs and stuff. Yeah. White noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I also imagine she's got like a quilt with every boy she's ever loved their name. (laughs) Yeah. So Which is none though. (laughs) (laughs) I know that her and Leah Dunham have um, matching Victorian nightgowns, which I find very cute. That's awesome. (laughs) I know we're not allowed to like either of those people, but I think that's a great (laughs) idea. And I would like a matching Victorian nightgown with my best friends guys oh. <laughs> birthday <Don't> coming up <laughs> yeah, this, trend, this, this trend report is only going to be for me dropping birthday hints by the way so, yeah. Victorian nightgown number one and I will break Got into it. your house for you on your birthday Aww. in the Victorian oh, just like, yeah. lying on my bed in a Victorian nightgown <laughs> with two in. identical ones next yeah. to them <laughs> just climb in between you and Gavin and sort of sing happy birthday Mr. President <laughs> Yeah, awesome. So, <laughs> in at number two this month, guys, is maladation. What? Yeah. So, you've heard of mansplaining. Yeah. But this right. May is all about maladation. It's a term. <laughs> it's a term. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> what does it so mean? It's male validation, and it's when a man feels the need to constantly tell you their thoughts on how you're doing. Oh, so, God. a mansplainer would have interrupted me to take over this explanation, whereas a man a maladator would have missed that chance somehow, but would still want you to know his opinion on what you're doing, how you looked while you were doing it, and how it went. Because his voice and ideas matter most. Okay, so I need two ex- I need examples of like. What's a normal person being like, oh, you really smashed that, and what's maladation? Yeah. I think it's just this sort of um, unearned confidence that you need to know. Like, uh, what, So, okay, so I went to a Q&A recently, and mm-hmm. it was full of women uh, and one guy who sat at the front, and um, they, everybody was asking their one question, and he sat at the front and said... Um, Oh, I just have like several questions, and then uh, said, it's more of a two-parter. Actually, yeah. it's more of a statement. <laughs> and then spent ten minutes telling the interviewer and the interviewee like how well they were doing. Oh, and okay, it's really I know what you mean. Patronizing, and it's just honestly, and it's just that thing where they think that you really need to know everything that you are. Um, doing is okay by them the worst thing is is that you can tell that they think they're supporting women and that they're being a feminist (laughs) ally by being like you know you're doing really well you really thought about that question really Really well researched there yeah but there was a twitter hashtag recently sort of encouraging women to describe themselves as if they were a man oh Um, yeah i mean how would you guys yeah how would you describe yourself if you were a man do you think Um, you would feel a lot more confident <laughs> she was trashy but in the way that she knew she was sort of up for it <laughs> I think we've discussed before up for it is definitely your phrase your phrase yeah. <laughs> I love the phrase up for it it's my favourite thing and are you up for it oh I know what I get I get like a Jonathan Franzi thing where it's like her body was ripe but just about to spoil <laughs> Because I got big tits. <laughs> I think I'd be compared to either a little boy or some kind of a rodent creature. Like, oh, you definitely get she the... She sly. Yes. <laughs> Somebody did call me a sex-crazed young boy this week. Really? Yeah. Really? Did you like yeah. that or not? It's my pal, so I was like, well, oh, thanks. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, so in at number two, maladation. Great. I came up with the term because I'm pretty sure I'm a genius, but we'll need a maladator to get in touch and let me know yeah. something's oh, right. Of course. Cool. And then in at number one, is being clever. Oh, it is cool now, you guys. Oh my god. Oh, what are so, we doing with this podcast then? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so Brad Pitt has copied his best pal George Clooney and is dating a smart normal. <laughs> He's apparently going out with an MIT professor called Neri Oxman. Yeah, she is amazing. The trend for hot fix is over. <laughs> smart normals is where it's at. Oh, bollocks! I didn't get the memo. <laughs> you know, we're all just these hot fix. What are we gonna do? What about all the locksmith porn? <laughs> so where do they find these norms? Do they get their assistants to like sort of scour the university staff pages or something? Ooh, yeah. Well, Brad question. Pitt is like really into architecture, isn't mm, he? So he went to MIT yeah. and she's like the professor of architecture at MIT. Oh, so really? I think he went to like visit.
is it the? <laughs> it's like I like architecture now. Give me your most architecture <laughs> woman. Who is the fittest architect? Well, apparently and George Clooney, there. like he went on like hotlawyers.com and Amal. Is that where you met Mal? And Amal no, was like the hottest too. woman and then he like messaged her but that might not be true. That can't oh, be true. No way. I do often wonder how the fuck they met because he doesn't care about human rights. <laughs> <laughs> he cares about he coffee. coffee, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coffee, and being tequila. privately gay <laughs> yeah, and being incredibly handsome. <laughs> Allegedly. Not a bad life, to be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, know. Either that or traipsing down the courts every day. Do you know what I mean? I know, yeah. <laughs> or like having an espresso and a nice bum. You know? <laughs> And those are my main trends. Yeah, great main trends. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming in on The Vine with Lucy Vine. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Have you changed your name to that by deed, Polly? Yep. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's happened, guys. We've reached the end of the episode. Finally. Thank you to all of our guests for this episode. Richard Danu, of course, with his money-making schemes. Juno Dawson (laughs) for telling me all about the Spice Girls. And Lucy Vine for her trend report for the month of May. If you enjoyed this episode, please do go and rate us on the Apple Podcast Store. We will be forever grateful. Thanks also to Harry Harris for our jingle, Gavin Day for our logo, and Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. Goodbye, my friend. I know you got me such a gun, but I can still feel you here. It's not the end, but it is. <laughs> Bye. Beautiful. You do know that's the Spice Girls. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I gathered. You should keep that in. That's I good. gathered as much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.